Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 4th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what to watch for as the state's 2022 legislative session kicks off. Then, calls about the children's mental health spike during the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 2022 legislative session begins today. Joining us live in the studio are political analysts Austin Barber and Brandon Jones. Austin is a Republican and Brandon is a Democrat. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here with us. We appreciate your time. Happy New Year. And unfortunately, we don't have hours to talk about this because, you know, we could really get into it. (laughs) But um, there's a number of issues Off the top, medical marijuana. We didn't have the special session. Lawmakers said they they were going to take up this issue. Your thoughts on where it stands? Let's start with Austin. Yeah, medical marijuana should be the the first big issue. Brandon and I were talking as we were waiting in the, quote, green room um, to to come on this morning about all the big issues this year. But but Desiree, as you said, uh, medical marijuana will be the big issue. Should be handled this year. Um, You know, the two chairmen, Kevin Blackwell, and Lee Yancey and the House and Senate have worked really hard uh, in the off season, as they call it, uh, to try to come up with a bill that, that both chambers uh, can pass and pass with a wide margin. So we'll see. We'll see, Brandon. You know, you never know what happens over there. Yeah, it should provide the first bit of excitement. Of course, Desiree, as you know, passed overwhelmingly on the 2019 ballot. And um, I never thought, Austin, that my youth minister would be um, leading the uh, House drafting on medical marijuana. Lee Yancey, uh, First Baptist okay. Church, Pascagoula. Wait, but, but, but you All said right. medical marijuana brings excitement. Well, because... Did you, like a double what, entendre there? Well, no, no, because I think what we could be seeing is the legislature passing a bill that right is vetoed. Oh, yeah. sorry. It's vetoed <laughs> by the governor right off the bat. Right. So you could be looking at the legislature taking a stab at overriding a, a veto. Maybe not. all that type of entry could happen very early. That's right. Of course, all set in stone by, you know, the Supreme Court's uh, decision last year. May. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, in May to, uh, to do away with the initiative and referendum process, which, uh, di- which did away with, of course, initiative 65's 
uh, ultimate decision by the voters to, to pass it. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. And supporters are supposed to be down at the Capitol today at 930 um, talking about this issue and egging the um, lobbying the legislators on. Another issue. Redistrict- well, they'll be the only ones there because, the you know, legislators don't actually gavel in until noon. So. Well, <laughs> but the, hopefully there'll be some hanging around. That's right. Yeah, trying to. Uh, get ready, get their notes in order and whatnot. Redistricting, uh, where do you see that? It's got to be done. Where are we on that? Yeah, obviously big issue every 10 years after the census. I think uh, we will see, based on uh, prior hearings, that we'll have a congressional plan that's voted on probably as early as this week, if not next week. Um, There's probably going to be some... uh, Fireworks around that. Uh, Congressman Thompson doesn't like the second district plan, and so I, you know I think you'll see a little bit of uh, back and forth over that. But probably will be adopted here within the next several days. Legislative redistricting is the big one, and people may want to keep in mind congressional redistricting. The governor has to sign off on that. Legislative redistricting, he doesn't. And so it historically wait, has been, wait, wait, wait. Say that again. The governor has to sign off on congressional but not legislative? That's right. Just huh. kind of an interesting thing in the Mississippi Constitution. That is. Um, and so in the House and Senate, members of the legislature will be absolutely distracted by the issue of redistricting until it is put to bed because that determines how their lines are drawn. So in a very personal way, that's how they think about it. In a big way, you look at the state of Mississippi and you think, you know, how do we increase black political power in the state? How do we make sure that it's drawn in a fair way? How do we make sure that the district lines are compact? How do we make sure that it's, you know, fair and, and, and done in a way that makes sense to people so that their communities are represented well? Yeah, that's right. And we've obviously had population changes in the last 10 years. My home place, the Delta, continues to lose population. The places like Madison County, Lafayette County, the coast, DeSoto County, these places are growing. So you got to make sure those individuals who live in those counties, you know, Madison's the closest one to here, Rankin County is technically closer to here, right across the, the Pearl River. Uh, their, their populations have increased dramatically. So you got to make sure those people are fairly represented. And that may mean that they get a new state rep or they get a new state senator. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we've seen in the past. So it, that, that's the legislative redistricting matters most in that building because, as you said, Brandon, uh, and you being a former member of the legislature, I guess you never had to go through redistricting, though. Um, well, actually, I did. And, and, and we should say, Austin, last time around, 10 years ago, it was partisan. It was deeply partisan. You had a Democratic House uh-huh. that tried to pass maps. And for the first time in Mississippi's modern history, the Senate Republicans decided to play around in the House maps. Typically, they oh, leave each other's the maps Senate Republicans, alone. Not the House then they got into it. Well, we passed theirs. <laughs> you know. I'm so so uh, that type of partisan bickering was the backdrop of this process up yeah. until now. Now, with supermajorities of Republicans, right. it's like they not leave as the big of an issue. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I've heard they've been meeting. Yeah. There have been meetings, and, and but the, a yeah. plan hasn't been put out there yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. What, what, I'm curious, what Congressman Thompson, what was his issue? I, 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 I briefly saw the congressional map. Um, do, do you know details? Said of what? Simply, he would he would like the remaining Hines County districts that are not in his district, as opposed to going down to which Adams is probably County. where we're sitting right now. That's right. You, that's you know, right. Where Northeast we are. Jackson. Basically, with the current plan that's been proposed in the House, it would take him all the way down that district, that. all the way down yeah. in Adams County. So, from yeah. the standpoint of compactness and just kind of. 
which is, I guess, currently in the... Uh, it says that's a lot of territory. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it, it would be. Well, but, but you know what? When you lose population like that, uh, I, won't, I won't get into a partisan argument with Congressman Thompson, who's not sitting here. But when you lose population like that, you know, sometimes you, there are difficult choices that have to be made to make sure that, um, unfortunately, your district gets changed, the, 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 the lines are redrawn. So, we'll, we'll, like, as you said, we'll, we'll see what happens. $1.8 billion, American Rescue Plan, a subcommittee of the Senate Appropriations Committee has been meeting about that. They are supposed to be coming out with their list of recommendations. We haven't heard much from the House, though, what they're doing in that regard, if they have been meeting. Any ideas on how that money, how you see that money being spent priority-wise? It'll have to be – we'll have to hear from the House, Desiree, pretty quickly because let's not forget we have a couple years where there are strings attached to this money. Some of it has been earmarked for certain types of expenditure. So this wasn't just thrown at the states to say do whatever you feel like. Um, Mississippi has drug its feet. I mean, I think we've talked about three issues, medical marijuana redistricting and now ARPA funds. Two of those three the legislature could have addressed by now. And so this is kind of a, a, a logjam of their own design. They're going to have to get serious about how to spend this money. In most states, they had public committees. They had public hearings on how to spend it. They set up oversight committees that were, you know, looking across the state to figure out the best uses. As you mentioned, they played it very close to the vest. I think that's going to make the work from this point forward a little bit more difficult. But there still is time. There still is a lot of money. That money has been used to sort of suggest that we have a, a great budget. Um, we'll have to see what they do here in the next little while. But I do think we will see action on that fairly early in the session because we are so far behind other states in doing anything with a ton of money. And we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we don't have enough health care staff uh, they had talked about um, during if they have ha- if they had have had a special session having bonuses for healthcare workers. Yeah, hospitals so, are taxed again. Yes, yeah. and yeah. so you know there are some critical issues. Um, but, but but it's not just hospitals. It's it's nursing homes. It's it's clinics. It's you know. The whole gamut. It, it's, it is. It is the whole gamut. And, and I am. But I want to. I want to get back to the federal funding. But I want to address that. I'm confident the legislature will do something this year to um, to take to entice nurses, you know, to come out of retirement, to entice nurses to keep working, to entice nurses to move from Alabama or Alaska. Say, hey, let's go to Mississippi, uh, because yes, our, our healthcare workers, um, whether they're in a nursing home. Uh, or there's, you know, at UMC um, have worked tremendously hard. But listen, there is a ton of federal money, a ton. Remember, there are three big pots of federal money that came in. CARES Act, which was passed in 2020, uh, ARPA, which we've talked about. Uh, and then, of course, listen, we cannot forget the infrastructure bill. The total allocation just from the infrastructure bill is $4.46 billion. Okay, $3.3 billion that for highways. We have bridge replacement, public transit, water, other infrastructure. But when you talk about the ARPA money, which is what will mostly be um, debated at the Capitol, because the, the infrastructure money pretty much can be done through grants or handled by um, Brad White and his staff at the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Um, Brad White, of course, is the executive director of Mississippi Department of Transportation. But the ARPA funding, the legislature has $1.8 billion, okay? 
I, should, I guess legislature, the governor to combine, but the state of Mississippi, here's $1.8 billion. All 50 states got a certain amount of money. Uh, $900 million went to counties and cities. A lot of that went to Jackson. A lot of that went to Hines County. I don't know the exact number. It was a lot. And then there was $166 million, which is earmarked for capital projects. I think that's going to go mostly to broadband expansion uh, in rural areas of Mississippi. So we're talking about nearly $3 billion just right there. So I have heard the lieutenant governor talk a lot this year, um, uh, you know, to, to whoever will listen, whoever's talking about this. He wants to see transformational projects that um, that that happen Long because term. of that, but because of this this federal funding. And I, I think most legislators want to do that. Uh, he's talked about, hey, I want to match what cities and counties do if we can afford to do that. If Hines County said or the city of Jackson said, hey, we're going to fix this water system. We're going to take $100 million. Is there any way the legislature can match that with $100 million? I'm completely making that number up. Please don't say that I just was talking about $100 million uh, from one in $100 million. But that, that's sort of, I think, his idea. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see where the House is and the governor is on that in terms of what dollars could we potentially match from local municipal and, and county projects. Big thinking. I, I, I'm, I'm for it. Any um, chance we might see Medicaid expansion with the incentives that have been offered? You know, uh, they've made it easier. The, the uh, Congress has made it easier for states like Mississippi to expand. They've essentially um, uh, taken away any argument that the cost is going to be too expensive. So um, you could. I mean, but I think we're, we're being honest, Desiree. There's just not been a ton of appetite for that in terms of the governor and others. Um, there is a possibility. It, it may be a little bit more tenuous than it was a month ago, but there is a possibility for expansion for states like Mississippi within the Build Back Better legislation, which is still being contemplated in Washington, D.C. Um, that would apparently create a backdoor process whereby states like Mississippi could have some type of expansion, some type of extended access. I and the lieutenant this. governor has talked about having some kind of expansion or some time. Maybe that's not his wording, yeah. but more access to health care. As we handicap it, I don't know what they'll do, but I will say there is not a more crucial issue facing a state like Mississippi than health care expansion, access to health care. We have over 200,000 people who would be impacted. This is farmers. This is parents, people who are working at 1800 18- thousand dollars a year so it would be an enormous impact get people to stop using the emergency room to get their strep throat (laughs) checked out those types of things yeah i I think that there's actually um a bigger medicaid issue that will take place this session brandon not to disagree with you but i will disagree with you which is uh, last year um, legislature passed and put a, a rate freeze okay uh, for all reimbursements for Medicaid, Medicaid providers. So if you're a doctor's office or a hospital and you're providing Medicaid services to Medicaid patients, bam, put a freeze on what that reimbursement rate is. That was a really big issue that sort of surprised uh, uh, most, if not every, provider throughout the state. That will be the big issue, okay, for every lobbyist, 
every provider, every legislator um, this session. It, it will be the biggest issue that nobody talks about uh, at the Capitol of what of what will they actually do? Will they remove the the, the freeze? Because uh, that matters to providers. I mean, it, it does. This is you know yeah, a service that you're providing, and how much are you going to get reimbursed for it? So uh, we'll see how the House and Senate handles that. I know we are running out of time. The one last thing: income tax whether that would be phased out or changing the structure of the state's income tax. Any last-minute thoughts on that? Uh, I'll go first, Brandon. No, you go first. Well, it's the Speaker's biggest priority, so you have to take it seriously. Of course, the Senate has opposed his plan in the past. Um, I think it would be cataclysmic, but there's no question, Desiree, as you say, they will be talking about it um, for the next several months. Yeah, it is It is the uh, Speaker's biggest uh, priority. But listen, there are other big things I can do in five seconds. Mobile gaming is a huge thing. People, people being at a bed online. Uh, we talked about uh, redistricting ballot initiative process. The initiatives and referendum process is another sneaky big issue that's sort of, you know, going to be discussed and debated. Uh, throughout the Capitol. So tons of issues, as many issues as I've seen since Brandon and I have been session. doing this. No a busy doubt. session. Busy. And gentlemen, we really appreciate your time. Political analyst Austin Barber and Brandon Jones. Austin is a Republican. Brandon Jones is a Democrat. Thank you so much for your time. It's so good to see you. You as well. Thank you. Take care. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Demand for pediatric mental health care has risen throughout the pandemic. That's according to new research from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dustin Sarver is clinical director of the Child Access to Mental Health and Psychiatry Service at UMMC. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. The study that we published recently is looking at the the call volume and the characteristics of uh, children and patients um, from a pediatric mental health care access program, both here in Mississippi and in the state of Maryland. Uh, and it's important to know about what uh, pediatric mental health care access programs or PMHCAs are. Uh, they're uh, effectively um, on-demand consultation um, phone lines that any pediatric primary care provider can call into to get assistance with um, diagnostic support, medication management, consultation, training, or resource and referral support to connect kids who need mental health care to services to actual um, providers uh, for mental health care. So what we did is we looked at um, our, each of our programs and looked at the call volume and the characteristics of those kids, both for before COVID had started and then after the COVID pandemic began. What we found in both states, um, despite our very different makeup in terms of geography and socio-demographic uh, and political uh, types of climates, uh, was this amazing uh, trend that, was, that mirrored very similarly, a, a very stark and similar rise uh, starting in April uh, of 2020, where uh, both programs received a lot more call volumes from pediatric primary care providers about children's mental health concerns they had. Um, and so we saw a huge use in the utilization of our program for that. And what we also observed during that time is that once after the pandemic started is that 
pediatricians and family medical doctors and nurse practitioners, uh, those are who mostly call our program, we learned that they uh, were calling uh, a lot about uh, more complex patients. So uh, patients who had multiple mental health concerns and of that mostly being anxiety, depression, and aggression. Why do y'all think that there's been this rise over the past uh, year or two with the pandemic? Well, I'm, what we do know is that we are currently in a mental health state of uh, crisis, uh, and uh, we're in a mental health emergency for 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 all, all individuals, but more, very uh, in particularly those in, you know in the child and child and adolescent age range. Uh, we think there's a you know there's a lot of reasons. You know, we've gone to, first off that this collective trauma that we've been going through has just lasted so darn long that you know there's a lot of chronic stress been, been that has been built up um, in uh, in kids. Uh, and teens as well. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, some of the earlier things that, that we experienced, both in terms of the uncertainty of knowing how severe, um, you know, the, the virus would be uh, in the beginning, but then also kind of all the precautions that we ended up having to take, take that really changed the way and the nature of which uh, humans and kids interact. interact. So we're social, we, uh, we instead had to isolate and socially distance. And, and uh, I think a lot of that fractured some of those basic core uh, connections that support mental health and, you know, being around uh, a lot of family members, uh, perhaps, uh, and then also just maybe it exacerbated a lot of the, the things that were already there and inflamed. You know, we had it was a huge adjustment and transition, and, and it still is. Are there enough resources in the state, whether it be workers or you know, <clears throat> psychiatrists, to try to help these children to be able to meet the demand? That's a really important thing. The bottom line is that, no, there is not enough of a workforce here to meet the demand. Mississippi has one of the lowest... Uh, rates of integrated primary care, which just simply means that uh, there is a behavioral health clinician of some type integrated in the medical home for families to be able to see. Uh, we are the lowest in that. We ha have one of the highest mental health needs in our population. Over 20% uh, of our kids uh, have uh, any some sort of a mental or, or emotional behavioral disorder um, from three to, to 17 years of age uh, at any given time. And most of those children are not in services. So they're not connected to mental health support. So we certainly can do a much better job of connecting kids and families who need mental health resources to providers. Because uh, while, while we certainly have a shortage, there are, st there are still ways which we can support that. Uh, one of which is the Pediatric Mental Health Care Apps program that we're doing. So one of the things we're trying to do is kind of twofold. We are uh, both supporting the primary care uh, provider who knows that family to provide resources and support uh, for mental health. So that might be uh, a, having the provider call our line and talk to a child psychiatrist about medication management, should things go up, down, change. And so that can be done in the medical home without the need to connect and refer to a specialist. So we're in that way, we're equipping and training and building up a workforce that can address very common mental health concerns that uh, in the medical home. Uh, we also do a core function of connecting um, primary care uh, uh, physicians and providing them resources and local resources to families for behavioral therapies or uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So that part of our job is to really ensure that ki those kids who have the need that are identified are connected to the services that are potentially available, even if the services and the systems in place aren't all that well developed in our state. What would be your advice to parents 
about taking the first step to helping get their children the mental health care they need? We have to recognize that there is absolutely a mental health uh, need and crisis going on right now. And as parents, you know, identifying what that might be doing to your kids and their friends and being able to support them to connecting to their and bringing that up to their pediatric primary care provider or contacting some sort of a behavioral health uh, counselor or specialist. And what I would encourage um, parents to do in terms of knowing about CHAMP and, and our program and what we do is that while we don't directly take calls from parents, I think it's vitally important that parents know that they can advocate for their families and for their child by telling their providers about our program. So that's simply saying, hey, I know that, that I would like to have a, this question answered about my kid's mental health or about their medication or how we can connect to uh, and get access to a referral for services. And, you know, I've heard about this CHAMP program, and it's something that I think that I would like for you to call them. It's completely free, and they can uh, talk to you almost on demand. So uh, I like to think of us as kind of the state psychologist and psychiatrist down the hall, but we're just connected by a, a phone. Dr. Dustin Sarver is clinical director of the Child Access to Mental Health and Psychiatry Service at the University of Mississippi Medical Center.